Hello, my friends. You've caught me up here again, yet again on this rooftop, empty and dark and spacious. I hope you don't mind. I know there are many beautiful places in this castle we could choose to go to. We could design to be so very comfortable especially for hearing a story. It's important to be comfortable when you're listening to a story. But this is where I'm feeling comfortable right now. I'm not sure why. It's just very peaceful. Anyway, it's a little unusual because I do have a story for you. I didn't want to go inside and take us to the story room. I thought I could tell you it here. Why? Well, I suppose because this is the world. I think this story needs to be told in. Oftentimes I'll tell you a story about a spirit, an entity, a demon, a creature from another realm. Most often I don't describe that realm. If I do, I probably fail miserably. Because how could I possibly know? I can only truly describe the realms I've experienced. Anyway, this one is appropriate for this story. I think you'll see why. I hope you've been well, my friends. I hope your most dominant world has been as kind to you as possible lately. Shall we dive right into the story? Let's. Once upon a time there was a lady. She was lovely enough and smart enough and kind enough and wealthy enough to find that she was a popular person, a person others seemed to enjoy being around a person who was fairly in demand by potential suitors, something that hadn't really become important to her until later in life. You see, childhood and school days provided the comfort of friends made easily, and young adulthood had gifted her with purpose and drive to keep her busy. But now she was grown. Her time was her own. She was satisfied in what life had given her. And, in deciding to focus on living it, and rather than preparing for it or shaping it, 
Well, she found she was actually a little bit lonesome. Suitors had come and gone throughout her life, and she had let them. She never clung to anyone too closely, because it simply wasn't in her mind or heart to do so. Well, it was worth a try anyway, she determined finally. And so, resuming a tightly boned corset, donning a brand new evening gown with huge skirts and a floral pattern in the most fetching shade of lilac, tying up her chestnut locks in the most ornate hairstyle she'd attempted in ten years, and trying her best to paint her face in the style of the time. She set out to go to a grand party. And indeed, how radiant she was. Friends who hadn't seen her in years delighted at her appearance, and strangers were fascinated to meet someone new and exciting. The lineup of dance partners began, and she was very glad indeed that she'd come to this party, at least at first. She spoke to one guest after another, and enjoyed introductions and light conversation. But it just didn't seem to be enough, somehow, she thought. She couldn't put her finger on it. She was growing bored. She felt she didn't quite belong. She felt somewhat lost in this sea of people who seemed to have very little to say. Dancing was fine, too, but no one felt quite right. As a gentleman kissed her hand with the most earnest expression in his eyes, she was disappointed to find she felt nothing. Her heart never fluttered once. She had no desire to see any of these people ever again. She thought to herself that it was as though there was a black hole in her heart that people who met her would fall into before she could develop any interest whatsoever in them. Yet still in her heart was that loneliness, too. What on earth was she to do about this? She was dancing with another gentleman who was going on about how he greatly desired to see her again, perhaps for a meal, or coffee, or a concert, and so on and so forth, he rambled. She agreed, though she regretted it inside. He beamed and luckily did not notice. He started to jabber on about his business, his estate, his horse, his friend and she found herself smiling and nodding and thinking of nothing. Her mind was blank. The black hole in her heart was opening up wider and wider, and she almost felt herself falling into it even hidden by her serene smile and the loveliness of her exterior. Inside, 
she heard her own voice shrieking, screaming into that void as her heart began to pound inside of her chest. Don't let me fall. Don't let me fall. There must be someone who can catch me. Don't let me fall. Suddenly, everything stopped. The dancers around her, the people laughing and celebrating. Her body could not move, and her dance partner's face had lost its jovial, socialized expression. He was looking into her with eyes that did not seem to be his own somehow. Not innocent and enthusiastic and young and looking for love and champagne as they were before. But now rather they were empty. Yet looking right into hers. His formerly too pleasant smile was now a straight line. Every muscle in his face was completely relaxed, completely bereft of expression or attempt. And he spoke one sentence to her, in a voice without muscle or effort, too, without his usual inflection or accent. It was something else's voice using his vocal cords and windpipe to say one phrase. I've got you. And then, as though nothing had happened, they were dancing again, and her partner was still going on and on about croquet or something, his face the same mask of social grace that she'd found so unappealing before before the music stopped. Are you all right? He asked her, and she excused herself to get some fresh air on the balcony. She stood, looking out at the stars and the moon, the trees, the fountains below, and she couldn't get that voice out of her mind the voice that had heard her screaming inside, the voice that had come out of her dance partner but had not belonged to him. Who did it belong to? There was a peace to it, a peace not unlike the moon's, almost full up there, and its gentle turning. There was a darkness to it, a darkness like the black velvet sky the moon shone so brightly against. And there was something else, something that made her feel held, embraced, loved, in only three little words. I've got you.
she resumed the night. She even made plans to meet another gentleman for a cup of tea the next day, and another gentleman after that at the symphony in two nights. She had accepted because she felt it was the thing to do, but she was not excited or optimistic. She was going through the motions. As on the carriage ride home, she only heard one voice. That voice. I've got you. And in her dreams, she dreamed of night skies again. She dreamed she was on that balcony. Only the fountains began to fade from view. Then the stars, and soon the moon was pulling away from her, and she was falling again, falling into solitude which she feared, but also in her own apathy, which she feared even more. She cried out, for she didn't know how long she would be falling for, and when the ground would come. Though she knew she was dreaming, the sensation of falling was terrifying to her, and it wasn't ending either. Until suddenly, something had her. It wasn't arms or hands. It wasn't warm or soft. It wasn't anything one could feel with one's body exactly except that it was the distinct feeling of not falling, being held, being caught gently between sky and earth, between sleep and awake, between alone and together. Well, day came, and she had a date she was not interested in whatsoever. She spent only a little time picking a nice green dress and decorating her hair neatly and making up her face. She still looked lovely, but she didn't quite care because she was not thinking about the man she was meeting. She was thinking of... You look lovely her date said. Though he was clearly a little less enchanted with her exterior than he had been at the party, she didn't notice or care. He spoke about his business, his achievements, his accolades, and it wasn't that she thought it was worthless or anything, she just wasn't interested, and she was terribly distracted. He didn't like that. She understood but she did not change it. He was rolling his eyes and ordering another coffee. She apologized for being distant and tried to explain that she'd felt a little off lately, that she was having strange dreams and thoughts, and she asked him if he had ever experienced anything like she had. Though she could have explained everything a bit more eloquently, she was trying to reach out of that black hole in her heart. She was trying to see if he would reach back. 
He tried in his own way, it seemed. But he didn't quite understand. As he turned the conversation to buying or selling or dating or home buying or whatever else on earth it was, it happened again. Everything around her froze. Time stood still, it seemed. And the man in front of her lost his somewhat superior smile, his annoyed and bored expression in his eyes. His brow furrowed in apparently confused study of her. That all washed away, and he was just not there, it seemed, as his entire face relaxed entirely, and eyes that did not belong to him looked into her, empty eyes once more, and she felt as though someone had pushed her in the chest, and she had begun to fall backwards into that abyss once more, the one in her own heart that she feared so much. Your loveliness grows as we speak, the voice said to her through the man's voice. And though whatever it was was using a different man's vocal cords this time, she knew absolutely from how slow, relaxed, and genuine its tone was, that it was the same voice. She felt the space in her heart opening up and up even more, as though it infected her and was spreading. Ah, there it is, and there you go. Lovely. Lovely. Who are you? She asked. And a small smile tugged at the corner of the man's lips. You'll know. Are you all right? The man across from her, once again in possession of his body, asked her. Were you listening to me? She murmured an apology and an excuse as she picked up her things and abruptly left the tea shop. When I tell you that she did so much research, you know what I mean. This is the part of the story where the protagonist goes to the library and looks in an occult section, and since this takes place in a time long past, You've probably guessed, not that that really matters. Spiritualism was quite popular, and so she easily found dusty tomes on the nature of possession, demonology, angelology, ghost hunting, disembodied voices. But what did she have to go on? She didn't know anything about this spirit. She only knew that it seemed to want her. She found some resources. 
tips and tricks when it came to summoning ghosts or seeing apparitions. She spent her night at home in deep study, though she feared all of this very deeply. What if she summoned it and she didn't like what she saw? What if it was a fearsome spirit? What if it meant her harm? She had read numerous accounts of demons pretending to be friendly spirits to lure mortals into bringing them into this world. What if she was opening herself up to danger? But this voice, it didn't want anything from her. It just loved her. She fell asleep at her desk, the fire dying in the hearth, the candles burning to their quicks, and she dreamed. She dreamed that she was falling once more, rapidly, past suitors and friends, past libraries and tea shops, past parties she'd been to and symphonies she was going to go to, past stars and past moon and past dark skies into nothing, not knowing where it would all end, just falling, falling. She called out, Please catch me. With what? The voice echoed back. With you. Catch me. But I've already got you. The voice said. And she realized she wasn't falling after all. She was just held in space. Though her body didn't seem to be falling, the sensation of falling rippled through her still, radiating out from her heart, as though it were sinking in the way one does during an abrupt fall. Only it wouldn't stop. It just increased. That intense pressure deep in one's body when one free falls, it feels at first like fear. But after one endures it for more than a brief moment, fear becomes overtaken by ecstasy. It was that black hole in her heart opening up. There it is again. And there you go again, lovely, lovely, lovely. And the whisper seemed to be not by her ear, but in her ear, as it said, Her heart ached for that feeling again, of free-falling and yet being completely held in that space, safe, and for that voice, 
that voice she couldn't find a face or a body for, that love that she still wasn't sure was not a horrible and frightening entity that wanted her soul. She was teetering on the edge of giving it. She tried to sleep again and find the voice. She couldn't. She read and studied and practiced reciting chants. Her mind was a frenzied storm of infatuation, obsession, fear, determination. And finally, she realized she was running late to meet her date at the symphony. She threw on an old gown and left her hair loose and chaotic. She didn't bother painting her face. She was about to be late. When she arrived, her suitor looked confused and shy and a little frightened of her. Poor thing. She felt terrible for him, but deep down she felt it was a miracle she'd remembered to arrive at all. But he was a perfect gentleman and escorted her inside to their seats. He eagerly discussed what he was excited to hear in this concert, what he thought of the composer, his previous experiences with the orchestra. She smiled and found it was actually quite nice to hear him speak of something he genuinely enjoyed. She asked him questions and he, delighted, answered. When the curtain rose and the musicians took their places and the conductor bowed, Everyone applauded, and the music began. For a moment, she felt that perhaps she was being irrational this last week. Perhaps her mind was trying to find ways to let her continue her loneliness and so it invented a disembodied mystery companion to keep her busy, keep her away from real people who might care for her and who she might care for. The young man beside her may be very different from her, but she appreciated his honesty and passion. Perhaps this could be enough, she thought to herself. Perhaps I need to stop falling into that abyss and stay up here on land. The musicians froze. The audience froze. The conductor froze. And her date turned his gaze from the orchestra turning his neck slowly so that he was looking right at her, with that empty expression in his eyes and his face entirely devoid of effort again. And she felt her heart race as that abyss opened up in her heart once more. Her breathing quickened, and she felt the thing that possessed her young gentleman reach down and hold her hand. She turned slowly to face him, 
and she felt suddenly very afraid. What are you? And the young man's face did not change at all, except that his right eye released a little tear down his cheek. That voice said, with the young man's vocal cords, in the silence of the frozen auditorium. I've got you. And then everything was back as it was. Her date sheepishly took his hand back and wiped his tear, whispering a quick apology and chalking it up to being wholly invested in the music. She listened to the rest of it in silent stillness. She had a problem that she needed to solve, and she would have to do it tonight. During a brief intermission, she apologized to the young man, saying she felt unwell. She sincerely hoped they could spend more time together soon, she said, and meant. She went off into the night, racing home. Books upon books upon books lay open, and she realized none of them would do what she needed. She slammed the front door shut and sat on the floor, closing her eyes, placing herself across from a dresser, a candle, and a mirror. She took a deep and slow breath in and began to speak. Are you there? At first, no answer. Then, a feeling. That opening in her chest. That empty place growing wider. And as it did, the more she felt as though she were falling into it. It was inside her, but it was also as though she were standing on the edge of it, somehow, so that when she fell backward, it was as though falling back into herself. But it never stopped. That was the feeling she needed. The only thing she needed for this ritual, she realized. And she felt it. The voice from within the depths of that empty place. I'm coming. Don't be afraid. And suddenly, the falling stopped as she was held in that sensation of warmth and closeness. Show yourself, she said and struck a match, lighting the candle. She was sitting in front of a mirror. The voice hadn't realized it. It was an attempt to catch it, to corner it, but most importantly to see it. Her eyes opened and she looked in the mirror, but no one was there but her. 
show yourself, she repeated. I can't. It answered. Who are you? She asked. This. It answered. What are you? This. What do you want? You. Why? I love you. Her breath quickened and she didn't know what to do or say. Except. Why? You called for help and I caught you. When I caught you, I felt I was a part of you. It felt good. Are you a ghost? I was never a person. Are you a demon? I don't really know what that means. What do you look like? Why won't you show yourself? I don't have a body. Could... Could you love a thing without a body? How can you love me without a body? Easy, easy. So very easily. When you close your eyes, you travel to the farthest reaches of my world. It's hard to find you, but I did find you. Falling into that place inside you that is already a part of my realm. I don't know how it found its way into you. Perhaps it was solitude. Perhaps it was study. Perhaps it was an accident. But there is a place in you that is my place. It just happened. And I felt you falling. I felt your fear and your longing. And I wanted to catch you. So I did. Like this. And there again, she felt that sense of safety, warmth, comfort, love. But in the mirror, she was all alone still, with a candle, and the shadows frightened her, and the carriages passing by outside put her ill at ease in the late night. Even with it speaking inside her mind, she felt alone. She tried to let that feeling be enough. But it was hard to shake off that longing for another body with her to accompany it. I have tried to join your world. I'm doing the best I can. 
but I can only jump in for brief glimpses of it. My world is an invisible one, an ethereal one. My world is not for physical bodies or audible voices or admiring glances or holding hands. I am sorry. I wish I could understand. What is it like living in a world with no body to use to touch, to feel, smell, taste, hear, see? How can one bear it? What would living in such a world be like? Hmm. Murmured the voice as it breathed in and out, not with lungs, but with its whole self. It seemed to touch every nook and cranny of all that it was aware of in that immense expanse, scanning it, washing all over it. And in that breath, it sensed Another voice and listeners, many listeners, eager to hear its answer, perhaps unaware of their presence within its space too, for such beings as this are often hiding in plain sight, in stories and inspiration through the action of fingers on keys or voices in microphones or letters on pages. Such beings thrive in such environments. And this one touched me and all who heard about it. And suddenly... It was not so lonely at all. And then, speaking to its dearest love, but also speaking to me and you, the voice said one last phrase in the darkness. It asks us, before disappearing into a long, almost silence, in which we might follow it home. Why not come with me and find out?
Hello, everyone, and thank you yet again for joining me for episode 240 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, narrator, disembodied voice, composer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I appreciate your patience again as I try to get back on schedule. I hope you're doing well. I can't believe August is already upon us. It seems like the summer is just blasting on by. Big thanks going out to all of my patrons who support the show on a monthly basis. I truly appreciate it, my friends. If you'd like to support the same way, I'll tell you what you can expect from my Patreon page. Every supporter of $1 or more US a month gets access to my complete soundtrack, while listeners of $5 or more a month US get that, a weekly bonus meditation on Thursdays called My Quick Moments, and a monthly tarot reading video every full moon. There's actually going to be a full moon reading released on the day this podcast episode is released, August 1st, so it's a great time to sign up and try it out. You can learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Those bonus meditations are also available through a subscription to the Sonar Plus Apple Podcast channel for $3.99 a month. You can get those and access to tons of other great bonus content from Sonar Network shows. You can subscribe through my On a Dark Cold Night page on iTunes or by searching for the Sonar Network. You can also support On a Dark Cold Night one time only with no perks by buying a metaphorical coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight or by buying a t-shirt or hoodie at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Of course, it's also a huge help if you rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, or wherever else you like to do so. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter, or whatever it's called, at On a Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, on Facebook or YouTube under On a Dark Cold Night, or on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. And my album, Favorite Little Songs from On a Dark Cold Night, which includes 14 of my favorite songs from the last two and a half seasons and all three versions of the theme song, is on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite music streaming app. Thanks so much again for listening, everyone. I hope you're doing well. And I hope you didn't mind this little spectral romance. Just a little experiment in trying to get down to the roots of love and loneliness. I don't know what the results were, but I appreciate you joining me for it. All the best, my friends, and sweet dreams. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. So